We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger, and we're here talking about early camp outlook around the division. We've been lucky enough that the Bill's camp started almost a week Chris, ahead of everyone else's? A couple of days, because we got the Thursday night game. Well, exactly, because our season starts earlier. So with that in mind, we almost got a, a five- to six-day jump start on everybody else. So over at our the Rockpile Report podcast, we've kind of outlined how that's been going through about a week and a half. It's always good, though, to take a look as other teams are going through their early preseason struggles. And I just want to see, it's always interesting to get a feel for what that looks like, what it feels like, what it smells like. It's like this Montucky cold snack, which to me, if domestic beer, like guys, for those of you who don't know what a Montucky cold snack is, uh, it comes out of the Midwest, Chris. It's the official, unofficial beer of Montana. I didn't know... Um California was considered the Midwest. The official unofficial beer of Montana. Midwestern themed, we'll call it. Although if you turn the 12 pack around, as you can see here, it's very much wet. It has a West Coast vibe. Yes. West Coast vibe. It's, uh, what, mid, mid, Midwest meets West Coast style. If this beer had a personality, I'd say it's like that uncle at a family party that, like, Never cut his hair, so he's still got like below the shoulders length hair. He's still smoke. He goes outside for smoke breaks away from every family event, and when nobody's looking, he slips you a pack of black cats or something every now and again. Like, hey, kid, <laughs> you're gonna have fun with that later. That's what Montucky Cold Snack is to domestic beer. Yeah, is that a see. fair assessment? I could see that. I figured it would be the unofficial official beer of Yellowstone. Yeah, maybe. Because that's like a Western show, right? Mm-hmm. 
Why wouldn't Montucky be a part of Yellowstone? <laughs> I don't know. Seems like it would fit. Seems like a good product fit. Guys, you should probably get on that. Try, try, try to get in the Yellowstone train. So we're here taking a look around the AFCs, looking at various training camps and seeing how our counterparts are doing. And as always, we have a panel of guests, and we start, as we always do, an inverse finish of the division. So that brings us to talking about the New York Jets. Chris, we always do the inverse of the final standings. It just seems to be a recipe that works. We kick things off with Mr. Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet, here to talk to us about Jets training camp. Scott, how's your day going? So here I was thinking that I was coming on to talk to you guys about Ric Flair's last match, and you want to talk about the Jets. Huh? <laughs> All right, fine. <laughs> Woo! Ric Flair. I, you, you guys in the wrestling, like, I really do love it, but now the problem is listeners are starting to feed into it. They're starting to ask us, like, oh, I've got extra tickets for AEW in Buffalo. You guys should come. We should make Drew go. I'm like, Jesus Christ. I can't. I, I'm not going to make it. I will. I would force you to go. Oh, for if if you were going, if I had tickets. If I had tickets, I'd force you to go. You guys have great listeners. No one ever tries to give me tickets to AEW. <laughs> <laughs> it's listen when, when you're the hardest drinking, pettiest Bills podcast. You have a very niche following, but they love you <laughs> unconditionally because they know that you're one of them. Like, listen, this is this is a guy. I open my doors to these people. They come to my house. They come to our tailgates. Like, it's wild. It's <laughs> and they find out that I'm very much the per- most people have like a podcast persona and then who they actually are in day to day life. Now this is just me. There's no shtick here. It's just this all the time. God bless my wife. So we're so we're <laughs> she here. truly is a saint. Yeah, she's something. So we're here talking about Jets training camp. And my very first question, right off the top I want to lead with, is rookie acclimation. And here's why. Every single team goes out there and they make additions to their roster in the offseason, whether it's free agency, whether it's the draft. And they think that that's going to be the thing that changes their fortunes from one season to the next. When you're a team like the Cowboys in 2020, and you have a year where everything comes off the rails because you lose your franchise quarterback in week four, it can be hard to know exactly what the problem is. You go into an offseason, you go, well, I don't know, like, what failed? Like, I, it's hard to judge how my offense played because we didn't have an NFL quality, an NFL caliber quarterback throwing the football. So it's hard to judge anything that happened on that front. When you, or when you look at your defense and you go, we hemorrhaged how many yards, but how many of that was because our defense, our, our offense punted on six possessions out of nine in a football game. (laughs) But when you're a team that's registered consecutive four-win seasons, the way the Jets have, it becomes pretty obvious that there's just a talent deficit that exists compared to most of the NFL, and you have to find a way to overcome it. This offseason, Joe Douglas did a ton of work trying to answer that bell. No team in the AFCs did more to change that dynamic than the New York Jets. And they're owners of maybe the most positive delta in terms of talent acquisition of any other team in the AFC East, spending not only cap space in free agency, but also gobs of draft capital in pursuit of putting out, for the first time in probably three or four years, a truly talented from top to bottom roster. Not just for now, but also in the future. Well, you got four top 60 draft picks that addressed every level of the roster from skill positions to trench players. 
So with all that high-end draft talent the Jets acquired in hopes of making the team better now and later, for the rookies, who seems to be acclimating themselves the most thus far through training camp in the early goings? Well, well, Drew, this is what I, I keep hearing. So Garrett Wilson's been having some nice moments. Brees Hall looks good. But, you you know, running backs in training camp, it's got to be the easiest thing ever because it's not really like anybody's trying to bring you down, especially when there's no pads. Oh, no. The, I, I, I said it before our Bills training camp even started. I said my hot take, one of my hot takes of the summer was going to be, I don't give a damn about the Bills running back competition. Don't talk to me about it because I almost feel like it doesn't matter. Right, right. You'll find that out when the actual games start. But yes. the guy that has really been – you'll remember last year, all you heard was the raves about Elijah Moore, Elijah Moore, Elijah Moore. He's different. This guy could be a star. You're hearing it with Sauce Gardner now. Now, listen, the guy was the fourth pick in the draft. Yes. So on he, some level, you have to expect You understand that. the hype. Like, yeah. He's the fourth pick in the draft. Right. Who is the last right. cornerback who has taken that high? I can't even remember one. Well, Derek Stingley, because he was picked one pick ahead of him. But, okay. <laughs> but so but, going but, into the season, when's the last time two cornerbacks went top five? I don't know if it's ever happened before. I don't be think honest. it's ever happened. But the, but the truth of the matter is, uh, you know, I, I talk to the beat reporters who are there every day. And one common theme is I've heard from a couple of people who have gone into detail with me in a way that they're not allowed to on a podcast. And they'll say, like, I can't talk about specific formations and certain plays. I, I can't get into details. We're not allowed. But this guy is just different. They, he's locking down all the receivers. He, it, The thing about Gardner that is really interesting is that, and this is part of what makes him so, so good, not only does he have a, an advanced understanding uh, of the field and, and how to guard specific guys, their strengths, their weaknesses, and all that. But because he has such long arms and such long strides, he knows exactly what the gap can be for him, where he can give a, a receiver a certain amount of space and still easily close the gap quickly. So what you'll see is a situation where a guy might look like he's open, but he's not because Sauce has those long arms and the long legs, and he can recover very fast. And he knows that, and so he can lull, he can lull a quarterback to sleep that way, but he also can play with an immense amount of confidence because he knows that as long as that receiver is within a reasonable distance, he's going to close that gap and make a play. So, look, you don't want to compare anybody to Darrell Revis, and I'm certainly not doing that, but what you hear is – all the stuff that you saw at Cincinnati, all the pre-draft type, all that, that it, it looks early on like it's justified and that this is a guy that has potential to be special. We still have to see him do it on the field, but you also love to hear stuff like he and Zach Wilson hang out after practice comparing notes and he says it makes them both better because Sauce will say, oh, here's where, you know, you went this way and, you know, I could have done this. And Zach Wilson will say, oh, yeah, well, when you were covering this guy, and it helps them both get better. And to see two guys that are both young players who are hopefully going to be cornerstones of the franchise for a long time work together in a, in a capacity like that and to be so serious 
about trying to be the best version of themselves is very encouraging. So Gardner really is the guy that you're getting the rave reviews about. It's funny because I don't even know what's going on with Jermaine Johnson if he's not playing. Like I haven't been told anything because I haven't heard a single thing about anything he's done in practice, which leads me to believe something's going on. But every day you hear about, oh, Brees Hall or Garrett Wilson or especially Gardner. I haven't heard a single peep about Jermaine Johnson. See, and that's interesting. Well, and part of that is that's interesting because when you think about what NFL training camp is to this point, <clears throat> where you guys are in your process, I know the Bills are a little bit farther ahead than you guys in terms of padded practice and just the number of days they've been there. Usually early on, those are the days where it's it's advantageous for a defensive lineman because the offensive lineman can't do a whole lot to block. We talked a little bit about this in our podcast earlier this week about how you're almost, it's like you're screen guarding in basketball versus what actual NFL line play should be from an offensive line perspective. So with that in mind, if he's not making his presence felt in that regard, that's noteworthy. At least you, you don't want to make a huge deal out of it, but you do want to, Write it down, <laughs> write it down on a piece of paper and stick it in your pocket and just go, okay, I'll hang on to this for later because that should be a time when all of the natural advantages favor your defensive line. Now, it sounds like Brees Hall doing okay, showing what I think they thought he would be. Um, they're going to pair him with Michael Carter. They're, your running back stable has a lot of things that you like about it. Mm-hmm. The wide receiver room, Garrett Wilson, that guy's a pick that I really liked. Like, I, I remember looking at and thinking to myself, there's no way the Jets get him. Like, they won't get him and Sauce Gardner. And then you did. And I was pissed about it because I get cranky about said things. And oh. <laughs> I, I just do. I don't like. I love you, Scott. I do not like to see your football team get better like that. <laughs> I just don't. So. When I look at this and I go, okay, they just landed a guy who was like, he was being talked about as the best wide receiver in this entire class. Now they've got him and you hear him talk and he's saying all the right things about wanting to be the wide receiver one. And he knows Corey Davis is there. He knows there's other guys who have more NFL experience than him, but he's saying all the right things. What do you think about his acclimation to working with your quarterback and working in an NFL scheme? Like, does he seem like he's translating well? Yeah, for sure. The interesting thing about Garrett Wilson is that I think one skill that he has that got downplayed a lot in the pre-draft process, even by me, is that he is tremendous when the ball's in the air uh, at getting the the contested catch, which you wouldn't expect from a guy his size. He's only six foot, maybe 185, 190 pounds. But because of his basketball background, and remember, not only was he good enough to get basketball scholarship offers to college. He chose football because he figured at his size, he had a better chance to make it as a wide receiver to the pros than as an NBA player, which I think he's correct. His father played in the NBA. He was a legend at Davidson. He was the best player at Davidson before Steph Curry came and shook that all up. And so that skill really has translated well to his game. It did at Ohio state. And so far it has at training camp as well. He's made some really nice go up there and get it catches. The thing about him that people forget too is that Garrett Wilson has been the best at at every level his entire life. 
he's worked hard to do it and he's had the best people working with him but he he also has been very dedicated like well, yeah, you know, he's got well, and this is the thing you see with players. They talked about it with Tremaine Edmonds and his brothers all making the NFL. They said right. when you have athlete parents, you yes. you almost come in with a little like you have a better understanding than most people of what it takes because you're getting coaching away from the game of football. You're getting life coaching from a person right. who knows how to dedicate themselves to a cause like this. Right, and to that point, Drew, here's an interesting story about Garrett Wilson. So Mike Davis, who was a wide receiver for the Texas Longhorns, he was an all-state receiver, uh, you know, a hell of a player for the for the Longhorns. He ended up going to the pros, had a cup of coffee with the Raiders, and um, he he's a legend down there. And so he heard when Garrett Wilson was at Lake Travis High School and he was doing all these things, Mike had heard about what Garrett Wilson was doing and he messaged him on Instagram and he was like, Hey, I'm, I'm Mike Davis. You know, I heard about you, you know, I'd love to help you out, you know, work with you or whatever. If you know, and Garrett Wilson was like, Oh yeah, that's cool. But at the time Garrett Wilson, you know, it's Instagram. You don't know if it's really Mike Davis. It could be some friend of his pretending to be Mike Davis. Mm -hmm. So a few months later, he runs into Mike Davis at Torchy's taco and Mike Davis is like, hey, you remember when I Instagram messaged you and they started talking and he hit it off with Garrett and the family and the family, you know, uh, Garrett Wilson's mother and his father, Kenny Wilson, who's a CEO of a healthcare company. And as I said, a former NBA player, he said, Mike, listen, I want you to be the one to work with Garrett and I want you not only to teach him what, you know, what he needs to know to be the best receiver possible, but I want you, like you said, to be like a life tutor. So what Mike said was when he was in high school and, you know, the early parts of college, you know, he was a supremely talented player, but what did he know about proper nutrition or proper sleep habits or yes. how much water mm. you're supposed to drink and this and that. And so Mike was able to be that guy, the guy that he never had for himself. He was able to be that guy for Garrett Wilson so Garrett Wilson has been, like you said, he had the athlete parents, he had that guidance, he had the stable home, but he also had somebody like Mike Davis to show him, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to prepare beyond just here's the drills you need to do. This is how you need to eat. This is how you need to sleep, so on and so forth, to make him into what he's become. And so you see that work ethic carrying over. He had said he was going to stay at the Jets facility over the break between camp, uh, mini camp and, and training camp. And and you know that he's he's been putting in the time. He's, he went to Idaho with the rest of the receivers and Zach Wilson. So, look, there are some – I'm not going to sit here and tell you his game is flawless. There's some shortfalls in his game. His footwork can be inconsistent and uh, he, sometimes he loses his balance. But he has – incredible upside and potential and, and you throw him in there with Elijah Moore and you throw him in there with a guy like Corey Davis who is a solid if unremarkable receiver but if Corey Davis is your third option or whatever not bad and if the Jets get anything from Denzel Mims that's a nice bonus too but I think what Jets fans are looking at right now is if Garrett Wilson can live up to expectations he and Elijah Moore could be the most fun wide receiver group, uh, the the most fun uh, wide receiver tandem that the Jets have had, 
I mean, maybe since <laughs> Keyshawn Johnson and Wayne Corbett, or even if you want to take it back further, Wayne Corbett and Wesley Walker. That's a that's you just dropped a name, Wayne Corbett. <laughs> I can still see the name on the back of the jersey with the uh, what is that, Kelly Green? <laughs> yes. Oh man. All right. So to this point in camp, early winners, early losers. I need two of each before we wrap this. So obviously it's very, very early. I would say winners at this moment, Sauce Gardner, certainly. And beyond that, I would go with, I'd say probably one of the edge rushers. Uh, you know, Jacob Martin's done really well. I, I guess you could say a tie between like Martin, Bryce Huff, and, um, and Carl Lawson. But ultimately, we called when, Carl Lawson we a winner last week just for making it back to the football field. So listen, well, right. the fact and, that you're and, out there, that's a win. Right. And the thing is, you hit on it before, Drew. Until the pads come on, and as we speak, the Jets have just had their first padded practice, you don't truly know what's what, what these guys – because the defensive linemen have a massive advantage when there's no pads on. Uh, as far as losers, at the moment, I would say simply because – They've been hurt. Uh, George Fant and Braxton Berrios because they haven't really been able to participate. So and that's not good because my- you guys we we talked to actually. It's funny you mentioned those names because we brought them. We brought George Fant up last week too. Because again, in our loser segment, we were talking about uh, uh, Makai Becton being shuffled to right tackle and Fant being given the left tackle job basically with no competition. They said, "Listen, we don't want to rock the boat." We like this. We like this for continuity's sake. So he's going to be our right tackle. There's no battle. George is our left tackle. But then Zach Wilson's out there trying to operate without his starting left tackle. And that's not good for anybody. It's not good for the wide receivers. It's not good for the running backs. It's not good for Fant because it just means he's got more rust to knock off. In terms... So I guess that's one of those things where, you know, Makai Becton was the loser in that, but also I could see where you're coming from. Fant's also losing. Well, and to be honest, I think what the fan injury really shows is that a lot of Jets fans have been talking about, I know that they brought in Max Mitchell in the fourth round out of Louisiana, and there's some hopes that he could turn into something, but they really need a swing tackle. Last year, they had Morgan Moses, and when Makai Becton went down, he stepped in and played pretty well. They need somebody like that because... Fant is still banged up. He, remember, left at the end of the year with an injury. Becton yep. missed the whole year. So you've got to have somebody that you know, Riley Reef ended up getting way more money than the Jets were ever going to give him to be a swing tackle. But you need to get somebody like that. Now, whether that ends up being trading for a veteran, waiting till camp cuts happen and, and pouncing, they've got to do something because when you've got two tackles that are both significant injury risks you can't yeah. go into the season with no insurance policy not if you want to see your quarterback start to grow especially when you right. went out and put so much effort into getting skill position players to help his production you can't have this die on the hill of this is what miami's been doing for years we have a guy who we think might be the dude we drafted him highly we spent a bunch of money on skill position players 
Also, we built the shittiest offensive lines, <laughs> and then everything falls apart. We've seen that story play out a hundred times over the course of the NFL, just in our lifetimes alone. So it'll be interesting to see how the Jets navigate this in the coming weeks. Hopefully, when we circle the wagons and get back together here shortly, the Jets have a better and more pronounced answer for this question. Now, obviously, there's so much going on. There's Zach Wilson's matriculation in his second year. Uh, guys, guys who are on the bubble, like Denzel Mims, who are being talked about as trade candidates. There's all kinds of stuff coming up. I'm sure you guys are going to be covering it over a play like a jet. Where can people find you on Twitter, and where can they find your work over at the website? Yeah, of course, we're doing daily shows still. We've been doing them throughout the offseason. Now there's actually stuff to talk about involving things actually on the field, so that's fun. Uh, you can check it out uh, anywhere where you download podcasts. Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, Apple. You can go to playlikeajet.com. Our YouTube channel is youtube.com slash playlikeajet. Twitter is playlikeajet1. So even if you're a Bills fan, which if you're listening to this podcast, there's probably about a 99.9% chance that you are a Bills fan. If you want to get a little bit of detail every morning, about what's going on at Jets training camp, just to see what the enemy is up to. Usually it's a 20 to 25 minute recap of that day's practice. So you can listen to it while you're walking your dog or driving into work or whatever, folding laundry, doing dishes. Uh, People tell me stories all the time about the different things they do when they listen, but it's a really quick, short listen. And also I should say that uh, I have to bring this back to the fact that uh, I appreciate you guys having me on, but also if you do get another invite to go to AEW in Buffalo, it's a long ride, but I hope I get included in this invite because if I'm bringing these wrestling references every week, I I need to know that like Chris Jericho, I'm the Ayatollah of rock and roller and I'm hanging (laughs) out with the uh, the Grills Mafia outside of uh, an AEW event flipping some burgers and flipping uh, and uh, slow cooking some ribs. So now we move along to the Miami Dolphins. And as always, Elf Artiago of three yards per carry joins us. Elf, you and Mike DeBate are two of our only guests who come on and do the show who actually are you know, boots on the ground in the building for training camp. Being back in that kind of a capacity and, you know, with a new regime, what's it like around the Dolphins facility this time around compared to other training camps that you've been a part of? Well, not I wouldn't say boots on the ground, more like sketchers on the grass, uh, you know? Mm-hmm. But, uh, That's yeah, fair. The, you know, the, the, the access has been, you know, night and day from this year to, la- you know, from last year to this year. Uh, it's a different regime. It's, there's a, you know, it's a more light atmosphere here this year. Uh, like last year, there were there were instances where you would have seen practice just blow up in the middle of practice with uh, Brian Flores, you know, mother effing a few guys <laughs> that that were not doing play, they were not doing their assignments correctly or or playing improper technique. Now you see actual coaching. Uh, it's it's a better atmosphere. The team looks better. The team looks looser, and. I don't know if you know, but we broke the internet on Saturday because our quarterback completed a pretty long pass. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> That's actually see. So before we move along, I have to I have to point out for people who maybe didn't catch it, but I did. 
you absolutely dated yourself when it, it came time for a sneakers reference, and the first thing you said was Skechers. Like you absolutely <laughs> yeah. dated yourself. They're comfortable. If you got to be walking <laughs> all over a facility, you know what are you going to wear? I'm, that's what I'm wearing. I, I don't. I don't give a crap. I you know, love if, it. You know, if somebody else wants to buy me Nikes, you know, <laughs> I have Nikes. But if somebody wants to send me Nikes, okay, that's cool. But you know, Skechers are really, really comfortable for walking long distances in uh, practice. I you got to walk from the press room down two flights of stairs, and then you got to walk through the practice field, then you got to walk across the practice field to get to the stands. <laughs> so, yeah, you got to be comfortable. So, death, taxes, and anti-Tua narratives. Some things really don't change. <laughs> they just no, don't. No, And I think my, my partner on the podcast, Chris Kaufman, had a great point. Okay? If people are going to use an underthrow to, to just basically just, just take a dump on Tua for an entire month, and that's from practice footage, by the way. That was from, and that was actually in what was one on one. It wasn't even, uh, you know, there wasn't even a cover. There was no coverage. There was no pass rush. There was nothing going on when he underthrew Tyreek on that one pass. If you're going to use that and use that to basically take a dump on Tua for an entire month, then I think we can use practice footage of him doing something good to be excited, right? Oh, for like, sure. There should be some balance, right? Well, exactly. It, I, it's funny. You made me laugh because to, just today you tweeted out, uh, if you're going to lie about stats, at least make it believable. Like, the, <laughs> this, these are the kinds of things you guys fight. I really do feel for you guys. I listen to your show. First of all, welcome back. You guys, you guys have gotten big enough now where you can afford to take summers off. You kind of put the, uh, you put the kids in control of the show. Yeah. So so you guys have come back. You guys are uh, getting everything up and rolling again. And what I find best about this is you guys come back, and it's almost like right out of the gate you have to start going to war for your quarterback again. It's It, it, it has to almost become exhausting at a certain point. So now when you guys are watching practice as it's unfolding now, you're there, you're in person, you're seeing it, more than just the Internet trolls and everybody else out there who wants to throw shots. First of all, arm strength and just the look of command of this new offense. How does he look? And also, would you agree with me that this is probably his, maybe counts as his third offense since he joined the league? Yeah, it's easily the third offense. And it's completely different than when they ran last year. And uh, that's something we can't comment on, but you knew what he ran last year. Yes. Uh, He's not doing that (laughs) anymore. Okay. If you saw the 49ers play last year, yeah, that's pretty much, you know, that's pretty much what we run now. I was going to say, I wish okay. I knew who we could blame for that, but we don't know who's calling the play. <laughs> yeah. And it's a, a, you know, local writer, Barry Jackson, who writes for the Miami Herald. Uh, he had a really, really good point. First day of camp, we're there with the, the coach, Mike McDaniel, doing his first availability. First question out of the, out of the, the block is, uh, who's calling the plays into Tua and, you know, what's going to be the protocol for calling plays on this team? And Mike McDaniels, uh, flat out said, I'm going to have the walkie talkie in my hand and I'm going to talk to Tua and give him the plays. And in See? fact, I'm going to do it all training camp so he gets used to my voice because I'm going to be the only guy talking to him. Now that's a great answer. That's, right? a, that's what I'm saying. That's ownership is what that is. That's a coach being a coach. He says, listen, there's a process here and it's not this weird, Oh, well, we're going to figure it out as we go. That's not an answer. Like, if that's your answer, you actually don't have one. The fact that yeah, he and, least- it, and, it, and it is actually interesting. You, I've watched all camp, and yes, uh, 
Mike McDaniel has the walkie-talkie in his hands, and he's standing on the sideline, and he's calling in plays to Tua, and Tua's running the plays. So, you know, they're actually implementing the plan that they set out to do. Not like last year. Barry Jackson, uh, back to what he said, he said that it was a really straightforward answer instead of what we had last year, which was three guys to, to relay the play to one guy who would then send it in to a carrier pigeon that would take it out the two onto the field. <laughs> it was like it was absolutely ridiculous last year how we could never get anybody to say, yeah, I called that play. Well, here's what I love. Barry Jackson had a tweet the other day. I sent it to you. Just said, today is the first of eight Dolphins camp practices open to the media. Reporters can tweet during those practices but cannot report anything about lineups, personnel groupings, or starters. Or we will be taken to a dark room and forced to watch the 2007 1-15 season on a continuous loop. That's a good tweet. Like, that's... that's I'll, if i got to give Dolphin reporting anything, it's, it's that you guys at least have a sense of humor, most of you, about this kind of stuff. So, one of the things I noticed when I look at... We talked about it a little bit when, uh, before camps broke, kind of after free agency in the draft. We talked about the size of your wide receiver core. And then, obviously, you trade Devontae Parker... So now he leaves. You have a relatively small wide receiver core. Do you see as practices are unfolding that this, if you were to try to run a vertical passing attack with what you guys have, I'd be concerned because I think that you need some guys who can win with size in those scenarios. But given this kind of unorthodox approach Mike McDaniel has, you don't necessarily need them, even though you guys do have a little bit of smaller personnel in that regard. Yeah, it's. I would say it's absolutely working. And as far as the size, I think Mike Kosecki, you know, well, exactly. That. He, that's what I was going to say. He is your size threat. Yeah, he is the size guy. And and Cedric Wilson's not a small guy, and he's a guy who likes to win. He wins vertically. Like he's a mm-hmm. guy that you can throw fades to. But it's really it's really about those two guys, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Like you watch them play, and you know it's it's almost a crime the way we used Jalen Waddle last year. Sure, he broke a rookie record for for receptions. He had over a thousand yards. He had a bunch of touchdowns. He had a good rookie season. Any other year, he might have been considered for rookie of the year. But the way he's being used now, you know, I can't get into it too mm-hmm. much. But obviously, it's not in the slot, right? So <laughs> well, if I'm exactly. saying that he's being used differently, right? Yeah. So yeah, those two guys on the outside, it's such a difference. It just looks different. It, it, last year, that offense looked constipated and up. Uh, you know, plotting really. This offense looks dangerous. It looks like it's going to stretch well, it defenses sh- from side to side. You and guys have one of the fastest wide receivers and one of the only five-time Pro Bowlers at wide receiver. Five consecutive Pro Bowl nominations in Tyreek Hill. It should look faster. As far as getting on the same page, obviously he's done the PR tour on behalf of two all off season. Tyreek Hill. How does the acclimation between him and Tua look to just this early point in camp? Oh, he looks great. And I don't know if you if you know about this, but we have this thing where the coach awards a jersey to the practice player of the mm-hmm. game. He walked, he awards the orange jersey. Uh, Tyreek Hill won it on Saturday. He was unguardable on Saturday, and it didn't matter who was on him. It didn't matter if it was Xavier Howard. Baron Jones, by the way, is not practicing as of yet. Uh, he's recovering from offseason foot surgery. Yeah. So he's supposed to be back. Like one of the first questions we asked about, we asked to uh, our head coach, Mike McDaniel, was, you know, when do you expect Byron Jones? And he said, look, we're not going to jeopardize, you know, the possibility of having Byron Jones for week one for anything. 
So mm-hmm. we expect them to play week one, and we won't do anything to change that. So that just told me, like, okay, this guy's not playing in preseason, and he'll practice light, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, Tyreek Hill was just – he was, nobody could guard him on, on Saturday. Was it Xavier Howard, Noah Benogany, Troll Williams, who's had a good camp? None of those guys could keep up with him. He absolutely destroyed our defense on Saturday. And and that was after he he was the hype man for, for the whole crowd, which, by the way, that's another thing. We had a massive crowd out there on Saturday. It's a different vibe with this team. I don't know if you've heard, but they sold out all the season tickets and started a waiting list for 2023. All right. Like the te- yeah, the team is behind. The, the fans are behind this team. They're excited. There's actual expectations of this team this year, which is better than what we've had. Well, so this kind of plays directly into that because obviously everyone's going to get excited about the new bright and shiny things, the new toys, the guys who just guys like Tyreek Hill. And for good reason, Tyreek Hill has schooled the Buffalo. The Bills have rarely held him in check. They did it once in October. And I think in all of our games against him, when we try, somebody else just kills us. He's been a part of some teams that have had the better of our team for a while now. My question is this. So on defense... The real question becomes, what's different in 2022? Because with the hire of Mike McDaniel, all of the talk has been about offense and all the ways his approach varies from the anything the Dolphins have utilized ever, maybe. The two with the love and the hate, and I think it's easy to forget that the Dolphins are going into their third straight season being in the top eight of defensive spending in the NFL. They're down three spots from where they were fifth last year, and they don't have a playoff berth to show for it. And for what it's worth, I look at the numbers. For all that spending, Josh Allen has more touchdowns over the course of his career against the Dolphins than any other AFC franchise, AFC's franchise during his tenure here. So I want to ask you, whether it's personnel, whether it's scheme, what would you say the Dolphins think is going to be different this time around? Because <laughs> it's not like they had a lot of draft capital to bring in any big, you know, any new athletes at the position. What is it that they're banking on that's going to change the narrative for that unit when it comes to playing these games against teams like Buffalo, teams like Kansas City, who they may eventually have to fear, stuff like that? Well, against Kansas City, they had some success a couple of years ago, but and, until they didn't, right? Yep. Uh, they created a lot of turnovers. I think what's going to change for them and what they're banking on is that it's no longer a defense trying to carry an entire team and basically have to pitch shutouts all the time. Uh, now they're going to have an offense that's going to actually play some complementary football. And this defense is designed to play with a lead because what, what does this defense do very well? What do they do best? They get after the quarterback and they could cover on the back end, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, for sure. you know, I, I always go back to these games. Uh, look, last year, the first game here in Miami, all hell broke loose in that game. You know, we lost our, our right tackle, then we lost Tua for the rest of the game after five snaps. And Brissett was an absolute disaster. And you could tell, you could tell that the team was just looking at each other like, what in the hell is going on here today? But that second game, I always look at that second game in Buffalo where our offense was just anemic for three, three quarters. If they were anything through those three quarters, if they were just average through three quarters, I think they had a shot. Oh, you were in it in the fourth quarter for sure. I mean, I remember I was at that game and I remember you guys going down the field. You're finally in field goal range. The first half's about to end. You guys are going to put some points on the board. And then somebody fumbles the ball. 
And that's it. That's the half. We just run the half out. Yeah, they decided. I, I think you forgot. They did. They decided. You know what? Now is a really good time to run a trick play where we're going to direct snap it to Mike Gusecki across the formation. And yes. remember, it hit him in the in the hip. Yep. And it started rolling around. And I think Micah Hyde jumped. Yep. Up. And that was it. And we come away with the ball. And I remember walking into the tunnel at halftime, going to take a leak, going, "Jesus Christ! <laughs> like what? What kind of Keystone Cops horseshit is this?" Yeah, and I remember I remember watching the game, man, and and a friend of mine is like, you know, uh, team's in it, and he and he clapped, and he's a cowboy fan, but he looks at okay. me like I'm supposed to be happy about this <laughs> because it's three three and it's late in the third quarter. I'm like, no, like we should be up a couple of touchdowns. Like we finally got these guys where we want them, and we're doing nothing with it. Yeah. No, that's a, and, and that's the rough part of it. Like that's the rough part of where you guys have been for so long. Which is why, to your point, seeing a team that has a little more chemistry and a little bit more thought put into their offensive structure and the way that they execute things, and because even if Tua can't throw the way Josh Allen throws, you don't have to. It's just in what you do around him to support what he does well. And it's everything I'm hearing sounds like it's going to be that way. You're telling me that it looks that way because you're seeing it in person. If we want to close this with anything, I want to I want to nab a couple quick. If you could give me two of each, early winners and losers from Dolphins training camp. Okay, uh, you want the winners first? Sure. Good okay, news always uh, before bad news. Yeah, <laughs> the the winners is uh, the the running back room. It looks different. It looks professional. Uh, all you need to know is last year's starting running back Miles Gaskin is RB four right now. Wow. So that's a good thing, right? And another winner, that wide receiver core. You watch these two guys, and and it's not only Tyreek Hill. It's Jalen Wall. Like, this guy is really, really good. I was completely wrong about him last year. I thought that he was a nice player, but kind of a niche player, and I kind of like the the guy that went to the Eagles instead. I, I thought we took the wrong Alabama wide receiver. I was wrong. This guy is really, really good. Jalen Waddle is not just a speed-stirring gimmick player. He's a really good wide receiver. And if I have to pick uh, the bad, it's, you know, Noah Benogany was taken in the first round. <laughs> he was expected to step in whenever Byron Jones has been out. He's been handed a great opportunity here to run with it. And uh, I, he's in a pitch battle with Troy Williams, who's been really good, but it shouldn't be that way. Yeah, right? but as an undrafted the free UDFA, agent, you shouldn't be fighting. <laughs> you shouldn't be yeah, fighting. The UDFA should not be fighting yeah. with the first round pick. For the backup for a backup corner spot, you know, yeah, and you shouldn't have to see Nick Needham have to step in and move him away from his natural position, which is in the slot, right? Yeah. So I would say, yeah, that's that's one loser right there. Well, Elf, I love talking this stuff about with you. We're going to do it more often as the regular season gets close and we start talking about this. But you guys are pumping out all kinds of Dolphins content over there at Three Yards Per Carry. I hate listening to it sometimes. Like, that's what I tell all my friends who are Bills fans. I listen to your show mostly because I just dislike the Dolphins that much. I want to hear the negatives. I also want to know what the positives are because I want to be prepared for them when I see them in the regular season. Where can people find your work on Twitter? And what do you guys have? Uh, where can they find your podcast? Uh, you can find our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts. Of course, on Twitter, it's the number three yards per carry. That's the number three yards per carry we also have only fans look at the pen tweet at our at our three yards per carry account yeah we accept bills fans you could come in and and, and troll us if you want remember <laughs> i do control the banhammer so i can't <laughs> kick you out so after you pay us the three dollars a month to be on there 
I can't kick you out, right? So yeah, look for all of that. And uh, on five reasons, we have so much, so much content. Just check the the mother account for all of that content. And now, like a good sport, as he always is, here to talk to us tonight about the New England Patriots training camp. Super fan extraordinaire, Mr. Christian Simonelli. Christian, how are you doing tonight? I'm I'm doing pretty bad. Um, and the only reason that you have me on is so you can bathe in my misery because I know, I know for a fact that you and your little minion over there are going behind the scenes and reading practice reports and uh, know how bad it is up here in Foxborough <laughs> for the first five days. So, not too good. Listen, I used to joke around with Mark Schofield all the time that – if the Patriots were the Roman Empire, the Bills were basically the Goths, just hanging out, waiting in the tree line for that inevitable collapse. You, as a fan, have been here for all of it, right? The rise of the Patriots dynasty. You got to live in the sun for 20 fucking years. And then you get to watch Brady's last big title run in 2019. Then to his departure and all the ups and downs that have kind of followed since... So when you think about it on that scale, <laughs> to, to all of the things you've seen throughout the course of your fandom, where does this season and the makeup of this team fall in your mind as the Patriots are kicking off training camp and really getting into the swing of things? Um, Is this just part of I the slow wanted, descent into hell? Yeah, I just want it to be over with before it's even started, which is pretty sad because... I just know it's going to be a tractor pull this year. I just know it is. See, I watched you guys have this frustrating free agency period, which was hilarious. If Like, you're watching Matthew Judon's Twitter account. Like, that was appointment oh. viewing. Because That's he great. was visibly frustrated by the fact that his franchise was trying and just couldn't lure anybody. You know, they tried to get Allen Robinson. That's come out in the past few weeks. Um they tried to recruit a number of like front seven players who just opted to take mediocre contracts elsewhere, which almost start like that's where you started to see it. Like, hey, maybe the shine is worn off here. Then they go and they have this draft that people are lukewarm on, some of which is deserved, some of which might not be. I mean, Cole Strange is if he turns out to be he was the most athletic interior guard prospect in the entire draft just based on pure numbers. Never mind the fact mm -hmm. that he came from Chattanooga. If he pans out and turns into what, uh, like, I look at a player like, uh, what is it, Creed Humphrey for the Chiefs. Now, he, he, again, people will laugh at the value going, well, you took him at this pick. It doesn't matter. If you take a guy and he shows out as a pro bowler, then you won that draft pick. That's That's the way that goes. So if he turns into Creed Humphrey on the interior offensive line at the guard position and allows you guys to get your running backs more out in space and do a lot of the things that his athleticism might open up for you, you won that. And I don't care what the fucking internet has to say about it. But on his face, that draft had some question marks. And so you headed into camp with this roster that was of an unknown quality. And now you're seeing what they're trying to make out of it, and the early reports out of camp are not. Uh, you're the one who listens to the radio. I'll let you educate our listeners. What's it been like through the early going of camp, just listening to the local media, the radio, the, the newspapers? What's it been like? Well, first, just about Cole Strange and draft picture, you're right about that. If the player turns into a pro bowler, it doesn't matter where he went. 
Um, but if he comes a, a you know a Pro Bowler for you and a great player, it doesn't matter if he went in the fourth or the first. Um, the first five days of camp um, have been pretty rough, and that's that's putting it kindly, uh, particularly for the offense. The offense has struggled mightily, particularly these past three days. Um, this isn't the 2000 Ravens defense they're going up against here with corners such as Jalen Mills and, and the immortal Terrence Mitchell. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I, his, I still who, don't know. Who's on, his, who's on his sixth team in nine years. Um, so there's been an issue. Apparently, today's report was, quote, it was a very rough day for the um, Shanahan-type installed offense. So from everything that, that we've been hearing and reading and listening to is that the Patriots are trying to install a Shanahan-type offense, with the theory being that Josh's offense, Josh McDaniels, the former offensive coordinator, was too complicated to learn. So not only was it too complicated for the players to learn, but apparently the coaches that are in there now are too stupid to teach it, so they had to dumb it down, and the Shanahan offense is easier to teach, and so far it's been a disaster. Now, I say so far it's been a disaster. Again, we're not even a week at the camp, but early indications and early signs are it's not going well. So last week we did kind of do some punching down, which we tend to do when it comes to the Patriots whenever we get the opportunity. <laughs> Talking about the red zone struggles of the offense. And also laughing about the fact that Brian Hoyer is somehow already hurt because he's old as shit. Like, he's just an old man. They're like, oh, arm fatigue a day into practice. <laughs> so now Bailey Zappi's out there trying to run the second team offense. It's not going well. They had a red zone session where they completed one pass. That's not good. Like, that's this is all, these things aren't good. And as you just highlighted, there's a lot of negativity around the install of some of these things, especially when you have the departure of a guy like Josh McDaniel. You're, you guys are an offense without an offensive coordinator. I guess the question is, is that genius or is it madness? And it's, start, it's starting to seem like the latter more than the former. One of the questions I had for you is that there's reports coming out from NESN that Bilicek was kind of babysitting Matt Patricia. It seems like Matt Patricia's kind of taken the role of offensive coordinator and yet, he talks with Bill before every play, before he radios, you know, uses the little yellow radio so everyone knows who's calling the plays, into the quarterback. Do you think that that's a mistake for a defensive head coach? Because this is what I'm seeing. McDermott. Sean McDermott showed up here in Buffalo and trusted his, in 2017, he trusted his offense whole hog with Rick Dennison, who, one of the biggest dickhead offensive coordinators I've ever seen in my life. And I knew that week five against the Broncos, hottest Bills game of all time, where our players ran a route and somehow, like, they, it was a passing play, it was third and long, and all three of our wide receivers ended up in the same, like, within five yards of each other. So wait a minute, what, how does, how did this route tree get drawn up? Who did this? Yeah. It was bad. So he was fired at the end of the year and things got better over time. He hired Brian Dable, but then this past season, he made a mess of things here for the first half of the season because he, he is personally responsible. I have it on good authority. Don't ask me to divulge my sources, but I have it on very good authority that he is personally responsible for making a mess of things, trying to ham fist a rushing attack into the play calling that just wasn't there. Brian Flores, former Patriots uh, position coach, just went on to Miami. No one will actually say who was responsible for the shit show that their offense was. 
But he was accused of dipping his toes into that quagmire that was the Miami offense before he was fired. There's a precedent that shows that strong defensive minds getting involved in offensive play calling might not work. Do you think this is a gamble from Bill Belichick to even be putting his fingerprints on this offense? I do, and I think that to the point where Bill is going to get frustrated and just say, screw it, I'm going to call the plays. I I think we saw that last year with the defense uh, and their loss to Dallas when they ran a terrible defensive play call that actually put C.D. Lamb one-on-one with Jalen Mills and C.D. Lamb just dusted him for the game-winning touchdown. It was really from that point on that we saw Bill more involved with the defense and was like, all right, enough of that, you know. And then they actually went on like a, you know, a winning streak and were like the number one seed, you know, in the AFC. Um, and I obviously crapped the bed the last month of the season. But <laughs> you don't want to talk I about do, that last game? Because I do. The nah, defense, well, the that, defense that, was that, awesome. Uh, it's all a blur. I can barely remember, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> but I do think there is, you know, uh, an issue with that because when Josh McDaniels took over, he didn't have the title the first year, but you knew who the offensive coordinator was. Um, when, um, uh, you know, it, that this was in 2005, by the way, when Charlie Weiss left. So you knew who, who it was. Eric Mangini was not, quote, named the defensive coordinator, but you knew who the defensive coordinator was. This year, we they, they don't have a defensive coordinator. They don't have an offensive coordinator. They have co-coaches, which I don't care in what profession you're in, when you're somebody who is answering to two different people, there's bound to be some confusion. There's bound to be some inefficiency. All I don't I, care what business it is. As you're saying, and especially this, on Sundays on the NFL on the football field, it's even more of an opportunity for it to go haywire. As you're saying this, all I can think of is that episode of The Office where Joe, uh, the owner, the CEO of Saber, who just who buys Dunder Mifflin, comes into the office and he goes, what? "Oh, I'm Michael Scott, <laughs> and this is uh, Jim, and we're we're co-managers." And she goes, "Wait, so we've got two men doing half a job?" That's that's I know you're not saying that to me because that's nonsense. Like that's that's exactly right. what that's what this feels like. It feels like yeah. they've developed co-managers, and then at some point, Bill Belichick will just kind of say, "Fuck it." I, I, Chris, you know me. I'm a control freak. How many times? Yeah, have you, you s- are the Bill Belichick of this podcast. Yes, <laughs> I did, both good and bad. Correct. Yes. Okay. Mostly bad. Mo- so there are times where I just go, fuck it. I'm in control. We're going to do what I say. And I'm going to make, I'm going to call all the shots because leaving this up to be a democracy and like trusting other people to just do their, you, you don't do it. And Chris, I want you to be candid with our listeners. It's okay. Everyone knows you're not going to hurt my feelings. Does that or does that not almost always directly lead to some kind of failure? Yeah. <laughs> It's it's not good. <laughs> Things are a shit show here sometimes behind the scenes at the Rock Pile Report. And sometimes on air, just because that's how we roll. But this is the thing that I look at when I see this. Bilicek has been a guy who always had a strong... Like, he always had... When they were the, at their most successful, he had somebody else in a coaching capacity, whether it was a great defensive mind, a great offensive mind, somebody that he could kind of defer to in moments. It sounds like he's created a, a staff where there's no one for him to turn to. Does it feel that way that's as a accurate. fan? Yeah, that's accurate. That's a great point. You know, and, and look no further than Romeo Cornell. When Romeo Cornell was here, he was a defensive coordinator. And 
Thai law is, you know, uh, infamous for relaying the story of the defensive game plan that they were going to go in against the Colts in the 2003 AFC championship game. And Ty law comes out of the meeting. and was like, I, I don't understand what he, what he wants us to do. Like, I don't, you know, like he just went through this whole game plan and Romeo Cornell was like, don't worry about it. I'm going to show you what we're going to do. He doesn't have that guy. And on either side of the ball, yep. he has a bunch of people who are very loyal to him. He's got his son. What is what it is. He's got a former first round pick. Gerard Mayo. Wait, NFL's and Joe Dirt? <laughs> NFL's right. Joe Dirt on the sideline? NFL's Joe Dirt, yeah. And then he's got his two slappies who failed miserably as head coaches and Grawl came back here. By the way, another reason they don't have the title is because they get paid by their former teams. <laughs> if they got the title, their contracts would be void so they wouldn't get that money. Okay. See, now, Chris, doesn't so that... There's another component to it. That's a wrinkle that actually makes a lot of sense. I don't want to name either one of these guys because I don't want to cost them their paycheck. Isn't... Yeah. So it's... But even then, those guys in their roles, they got fired for a reason. Most notably, it just seemed like they annoyed everyone. It just seemed like they irritated all the players that they coached. So now you're watching this try to play out, and it's been up and down. The offense just hasn't matriculated the way that they want it to. There's been changes on the offensive line. There, I, I know because, to your point, I have been camping out, just squatting on every bit of New England preseason news I can of find. Of course you have. <laughs> of course. You're right there. I know what you're doing. I know. Because you it's know. Me. Come after, on, after it's me. After all these years, Christian, you know us better than most people. Before we get to winners and losers, new look cornerback group. The offensive success that they are finding seems to be coming at the expense of these younger cornerbacks on your roster. Given the firepower that all of the AFC East amassed at off at wide receiver, except for the Patriots this offseason, how concerned are you about the cornerbacks based on what you've seen come out of these early practices? Um. I'm concerned about a guy like Malcolm Butler that they brought in here as a veteran who has, you know, been scrappy in a couple of plays, but he got absolutely dusted today uh, by Devontae Parker or what would have been like probably a 60-yard touchdown. Just got bleak, beady, blew right by him. The rookies, Marcus and Jack Jones, particularly Jack Jones has been holding his own. Um, Terrence Mitchell has been holding his own. From everything I've read, and I think people are like, you know, I don't know what they're seeing, but apparently Jalen Mills is having a really good camp. Um, it's the guys that are below them, like the Sean Wades, um, you know, that are having issues. Um, Joe Juan Williams is another guy that, you know, has been having issues. So I'm worried about the corners and definitely worried about um, the secondary, you know, against obviously, like you said, all the firepower. I guess one bright spot has been um, Joshua Bledsoe, sixth round pick, former sixth round pick. He's been really good at safety. He's been a guy that's been flying around making some plays. Jabril right. Preppers came off pup today. Guess he had an okay day. So, but I do worry about that that back end for sure. Um, I mean, I think it's, the, I think it's easy to put a lot of those cornerbacks. If we're talking winners and losers, and we'll start with losers. It's easy to put some of those guys into that category. Joan Williams in particular, because he just, not even because he's having a, a up and down camp, and not just because he's been there for a few years, but because he perpetuates this cycle of second round cornerback busts for New England. You guys are snake bitten with that pick. 
it's unbelievable. If you look at the history, it's, it's Cyrus it's Jones out of Alabama was the first time impossible. I realized it. Cause I was like, wait a minute. Oh yeah. This guy was supposed to be great. He was a killer for Alabama. He went to new England and died on the vine. Then yep. so did Razai Dowling, who you guys took before we took uh, Aaron Williams. And I was like, wait oh, a yeah. minute. What's Raz IR Dowling, we called him. Yep. Razai Dowling was Razai IR Dowling because he never came off IR. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it was one yep. of those things where I'm like, what's happening to the Patriots in the second round with DBs? And sure enough, it just never stopped. It's The train is still rolling. He's one of the losers because he apparently can't hold his own. Who else would you put in terms of, in your mind? Another loser, and then two people who you think are actually doing better than maybe out-of-town fans might realize. Well, um, Cole Strange, apparently, he struggled really early on in camp. He had a real bad day today, apparently. Um, which, you know... <laughs> After we talked about him coach- maybe being a pro bowler, damn it. <laughs> we did. Got some hard coaching for Bill, so hopefully that will translate into some positive, uh, you know, tomorrow. Um, you know, it's funny. I A lot of people love Jacoby Myers around here. I haven't heard that much about him. Um, I've heard a little bit more about a guy like Trey Nixon, and uh, but I haven't necessarily heard you know that much about Jacoby Myers. Um, so it's interesting that I haven't heard that much because he was really you know aside from um, uh, Kendrick Bourne, he was really like one of Max' go-to guys last year. It was like him, Hunter Henry, and Bourne. So uh, that's kind of interesting. So so far, uh, a little bit of a little bit of I guess I would put him in a loser category. And then the guys who won, I'm thinking about guys who are like people who genuinely like you're feeling good about, because I know right now it's tough, especially because of the pressure you guys have. Like you guys still, it's, you guys are shifting from this. We win all the time to kind of accepting the fact that now you're back in this ambiguous middle class of NFL franchises because you don't have a franchise quarterback anymore. You don't have supremely talented assistant coaching. Who do you think is coming out of this looking positive that Bills fans maybe should take notice of and say, hey, you know, in, you know, when we see you guys later in the season or when we hear reports of them doing well in the regular season, we should probably realize, hey, Christian said this guy sounds like he was doing well in camp. Well, I got three guys real quick. The first guy you know really well, Devontae Parker. All Apparently right. he's been doing really well in camp, particularly in the red zone. Practically every 50-50 contested ball that's been thrown his way, he's caught. And he's looked really good. He's looked, quote, like a, a legitimate wide receiver. Now, he hasn't necessarily gained the separation that, that you'd like to see. And that's really been the problem throughout camp for the wide receivers. They haven't, quote, gained separation like they should. Um, but he's looked great. Hunter Henry looks great. Um, Ramon J. Stevenson's down about seven pounds. He's been looking really good. And on the defensive side of the ball, um, so far, Christian Bomber has been a one-man wrecking crew almost every day. Roll Tide. I mean, yep. how could he not? I mean, the guy's yep. pedigree is just, he was so impressive last year. I'm kind of pissed, again, that you guys, the Dolphins, you guys all seem to get the good Alabama players. And us and the Jets get stuck with the guys who are out of the league in three years. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's, to, to quote a show that Chris and I both like, Letter Kenning, it's fucking embarrassing. Christian, when the NFL season rolls around, you're a ton of fun to chat ch- chat with, you know, go back and forth with online. Where can all of our fellow Bills fans find you and kind of interact with you as this whole process plays itself out? Well, this season in particular, you can find me pulling my hair out on Twitter, at Chris with the T-I-A-N. Um, I, much like yourself, are a complete overreaction to every single play <laughs> and every single transaction and every single event. So I consider myself a pretty entertaining follow. So give me a follow and I'll follow you back. All right, and that brings us to the Buffalo Bills portion of the AFC East Roundup. 
Now, Mr. Ryan Lacell is on the horn with us. He joined us this week for our Rock Pal Report podcast, and he's going to join us as we run down this week's list of winners and losers. Obviously, you can go hear our training camp recap from earlier this week. I feel like there's not a whole lot left there to talk about. But the winners and losers, are, it's always fun. It's always fun to see. <laughs> I think someone made the joke about stock up, stock down. I feel like stock indicates like a stock is a nice way of saying the thing I want to say, right? Like stock is being like, well, you didn't do as as good as you might have. So we're going to downshift you a little bit. But don't worry. We don't want to hurt your feelings. I like the idea of someone taking an L. It just makes me feel good. Like I'm a negative reinforcement guy. I feel like that. I feel like that works for most human beings. Ryan, you manage human beings. No matter what anybody says, sometimes some good old fashioned negative reinforcement it, it gets the job done, doesn't it? Yeah, it, if you use it in the right in the right uh, moments in time, it can be very effective. That's why I like definitive things: winners and losers. When you look at the Buffalo Bills, the winners and losers from this past week of uh, training camp since the pads went on. I'm going to start with offensive tackle Deion Dawkins is one of the week's winners. Guy gets back to camp for the first time in weeks after missing some time with a personal issue, which it had to be kind of serious because you saw, I think it was Mitch Morris who was talking to the media and he said, you know, all of our prayers are with him. So obviously it's something I'm going to assume he sustains some kind of a loss. Like that's, that's never good. He comes back and scores a long fat guy touchdown in training camp off a would-be interception from rookie cornerback Christian Benford. Like, that's a good way to come back. Like, that's a guy, for a guy like that, that's a good feeling, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's got to be a good feeling. He got a kick out of the fact, I, I know, he got a kick out of the fact that we were referring to him as off red zone weapon Deion Dawkins. Like, that. that's the nickname I have for him is red zone weapon Deion Dawkins. Why? Because he scores fat guy touchdowns if you let him. Like, I'm shocked the Bills didn't use him instead of Tommy Doyle in that Patriots game. I'll be completely honest with you. Deion Dawkins and just, as camp goes on, you start to hear more and more. Dawkins has kind of established himself as our, not just our left tackle, like a starter. Hey, he's good. When you look around the division, he provides us with a rare sense of continuity at tackle that I don't think any of the other teams in our division have, do they? No, no, that's for sure. Well, right. especially with, I mean, the Jets, they drafted who they thought was going to be the guy, and Becton went from big ticket to left, you know, fighting for a spot on the field. So, no, I mean, I think I don't think anybody has a Look at the tackle. Dolphins. The Dolphins drafted Austin Jackson as if they thought he was the answer. Now yep. he's a right tackle. The Patriots just took their starting left tackle and moved him to right. Apropos of almost nothing. Like, if the Patriots had a problem last year, offensive tackle wasn't one of them, but they created one by moving one of their more talented guys to a different side of the line. I don't understand it. He's got the most continuity of any offensive tackle in the AFC East, and I think that alone makes him a winner. And he's, I'm just happy to see him back in the fold and feeling good about things. Another winner from this past week, sophomore defensive ends. Boogie Basham, Greg Rousseau. Basham gets credited with beating up on Bobby Hart, which we made fun of in our other show a little bit. But I like the way that he did it. It's he did it. He's done it a couple times with power, a couple other times with just technique and footwork on different reps. That's a massive step forward from what we saw from him last year because 
you'll agree with me. He looked every bit of a rookie defensive end, right? Yeah, he did. I mean, again, he showed flashes. I know we talked about this in the last show, but he definitely showed flashes. But he also, at a lot of times, seemed outmatched and outgunned. And that's you know largely due to the fact that when he was in college, he was the biggest guy in, you know, in the trenches. He was super strong and talent Talent gets you a long way in uh, in college, but eventually technique tends to win out in the NFL, and he seemed outmatched in a lot of situations. And it seems like by all accounts this year, he's been anything but outmatched, and in fact, it seems like he's finding his footing, which is going to be huge for Buffalo because he's, Basham specifically is one of those guys that can move around that defensive front. He's similar to Oliver in that vein, that he can move around to be versatile. And the one thing that Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott love in their defense is versatility. And if they can go out and throw Basham out there and end, tackle, wherever they need him, that makes him a huge weapon for this defense. And I think, you know, certainly an impact player as they move forward. I like the fact that he's recording pressures and sacks at a time when offensive tackles should be taking a step forward in, in their ability to pass protect better. Like, they, they, he should be less effective against the run. And yet every day you're hearing reports about how he's he's doing this well, he's doing that well, he beat this tackle, he made this splash play. That bodes very well for him as one of these rotational pieces that they'd love to use in that front seven. Greg Rousseau, working with the starters, he comes into the year known more for his run defense than his pass rush. So it's good to hear that he's, once the pads come on, again, guys, some guys shrink. Some guys take a step forward. He's starting to show off pass rush skills against quality opponents like Deion Dawkins in practice. Our starting left tackle using both a combination of speed and power. We all knew, you know, he's strong. He's what, six, 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 seven, two hundred and what, two hundred and seventy, two hundred and eighty pounds. I don't know his exact. Yeah, he's, a, he's a big boy. He's a hoss. That picture of him standing next to Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. Sean McDermott's six feet tall. Like, it's hilarious. He makes them look like toddlers. So he's now figured out how to not just play with power, which is why he was so good against the run. Like he's hard to dislodge and you can't get into his body because his arms are so long. So he was very good against the run. He, he led the league in solo run stops for an edge player. Why? Because you can't ever get to his body as a tackle in the running game. But in the past game, when he has to come at the tackle before he was a little bit slow, he's showing a little bit more burst. According to everything I'm seeing, I saw it, but also everything that we're reading, his improvement's going to be huge because Oliver's having a great camp at Oliver, at defensive tackle, and he finished 2021 red hot. If you factor in the presence of Von Miller on the other side of the line, now last year there was nobody at the defensive end position that you had to double team in that Bills. Jerry Hughes was past the point. He got a lot of pressures because he was never double teamed. Right? That's part of his thing. He's a small guy, and he didn't have to be double-teamed, but he wouldn't put up sack numbers. He would get pressures, which is fine. He's not Von Miller. So now Von Miller's going to be commanding a double-team. Somebody else on that defensive line might, if Ed Oliver gets hot in the middle of a game, a team might decide, hey, double, double Von, also we're going to combo block this guy, and we might throw a running back to chip or a tight end to try to help block Greg Rousseau. He's going to have to learn how to win those 1v1s and those 1v1.5s in that kind of a situation if this defensive line is going to make the most out of what it could be. And so to hear that he's already beating our starting left tackle, that's encouraging. I like that. 
And like Bina McDermott's project players, he has that right mix of attributes to get that job done as he grows into that role. I just think that the two of them could make for a really nice one-two punch at defensive end so that our defense as a whole can really overwhelm somebody if you don't have an all-star offensive line. For maybe the first time in McDermott's career, he might have the closest thing to the old cold front if those two guys can get their shit together. The last winner is Isaiah McKenzie. Every single day this guy has been talked about. Chris hates it. Chris, this guy might be your starting slot receiver, the way he's playing right now. I don't hate it. Just give me that Patriots game on a more consistent basis. That's all I ask for. Okay. And he hasn't done it. He's never done it. No, he's never done it. So, But if he does, will you lay off of Isaiah McKenzie a little bit? No. Like <laughs> You're going to have to show it across a whole season. Okay, so it's not even like four or five good games out of ten. You're going to need to see a, a quality great game. season, not one game, and then everybody's sucking his. Yikes! You're going to have to edit that out. Why? Yeah, I mean, look, the 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 thing with McKenzie is, you know, and this was one of the things that I argued in the off season as well when people are talking about how much they want to pay him, and it was, you know pay him whatever, you know, take the money that you're saving from Beasley and give it to McKenzie. And I'm like, well, let's let's kind of pump the brakes a little bit here on McKenzie because he's, what, 27, 28 years old? And he's never been a guy that any coaching staff has had faith in beyond what appeared to be towards the end of the season as a gadget player. You know, there, there's a role for that, but you do want to see more of a – he's not – He's not what you want out of a typical slot receiver, right? It seems like in the past, at least, that you've had to scheme McKenzie open. He's not a guy that can just go out and run a crisp route and, and break open. He's not a Cole Beasley. He's, certain, you know, he's not a Jamison Crowder that you've seen in the past. But what he's gaining is with Crowder being out, he's not having to fight for reps, right? Like reps are supremely important for a guy who's trying to, to, to play a position that he's not used to playing and reps are super important. And if he's not having to split reps with Crowder for the, this position battle, he's certainly not splitting reps with with Shakir. So by all accounts, you've got your three, your, your top three offensive uh, wide receivers. And if he's taking the lion's share of those snaps at the, at the, uh, the slot position, He's winning that battle, whether Crowder wants it or not, whether Crowder gets grandfathered in because, well, he's a veteran, we know what he brings to the table, blah, 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 like they always do. Josh Allen has a history of going to guys he feels comfortable with. It's why he, he focused on, you know, obviously Diggs is a great receiver, but they've become best friends. It's a reason why he focused in on Gabe Davis. He trusts him. He knows he's going to go out and catch that ball. And if McKenzie's getting the opportunity to gain that, take that and add in the scheming that they're able to do to get him the ball in space on those jet sweeps and things like that could be a great season for him. But I'm like Chris, I'll believe it when I, when he can string six, seven games in a row together where he's getting, you know, seven, eight touches a game for 70 some odd yards and, you know, a touchdown, whatever may be the case, but I need to see more out of him before it's, yeah, he's definitely our slot receiver. Cause right now I'm still, Jamison Crowder, even though he's losing valuable time, you know what he can do in that position, and it's be productive and be arguably the best receiver on two separate franchises, Washington and the Jets. Um, you know, he, he could come in and fill that Beasley role. There's a lot of targets to fill with Beasley and, and uh, Sanders out. So for the losers, 
There's two that I just want to point at quickly. Uh, Matt Barkley. I mean, obviously no one's really talking about your third-string quarterback at this point, especially if you're a team like the Bills that has so much else going on. He's not doing a whole lot to endear himself to a team that's not known for carrying three quarterbacks. All right, like that's not a thing. Uh, Matt Perrine over at NewYorkUpstate.com had this to say, and it made me laugh. He was describing what a terrible end to practice Barkley had today. This was the series. Basham sack, throw across his body to the left side and intercepted by Jamarcus Ingram, who's a rookie. Pass batted down by Daniel Joseph. Pass batted down by Prince Amelie. <laughs> That's, those are all of your touches at the end of practice. Barkley, it's a good story that he's back. I just, I mean, you traded for Case Keenum. You traded for Case Keenum. You brought him in because you're like, hey, I need... The days are over where I need a caretaker, a coach on the sideline, the day that I need a rehab project that I can get future value on. Now I need a guy who's an ins- a legitimate insurance policy, who can actually throw the football well enough to win me a football game if my defense does its job. That's what Case Keenum's here to do. And I just I don't know how Matt Barkley makes it out of this. And it sounds like halfway through training camp, he's really not giving them much to work with. Right or wrong, I don't even know if there's a... He's maybe a practice squad guy just because they like him in the building. Is that maybe it? Yeah, I mean, he, you know, maybe another... He, Barkley's going to be a guy that's probably going to wind up being an offensive coordinator down the line. Like, he's he's just that well-respected in the NFL, and he, he seems to be that smart of a guy. But, yeah, I mean, you you go out and you trade for Case Keenum. That's not, a, it's not an accident, right? I mean, he's got a career 62% completion percentage. He's got more touchdowns than interceptions. 84.6 QBR throughout his career. That's that's all you need in a backup quarterback is a guy who, if I have to tap him, which if you Josh Allen's your quarterback, you hope you never have to go to Case Keenum. But if you do have to go to Case Keenum with the talent you've got around you, or I'm sorry, around him on the team, you just need a guy who's not going to go out and lose you a football game. And Case Keenum's not going to go lose you a football game. Matt Barkley, he might lose you a football game. And I think that's going to be the differentiator when it comes down to putt time. They'll, they'll keep Keenum and they'll get rid of Barkley. I mean, they've never let him throw in big moments. Whenever he's had to come in for Josh Allen, it's just been <laughs> kind of like, hey, don't don't mess this up. We'll run it a bunch of times and punt. We don't care. The biggest loser of the week, WGR 550 radio host Nate Geary. Nate Geary, what a loser. A long snapping challenge, coward. He claims that he was hosting Sports Talk Saturday this past week until 2 p.m. and quote-unquote couldn't find Reed. Couldn't find Reed. Reed Ferguson responded immediately, saying that he went looking for Nate Geary after practice because he wanted him to back up all this tough talk about how he could hold a a real NFL long snap. Said he thinks he was too busy looking for a garbage plate to recall the scenario. Nate's mouth wrote the check. I think it's only right that Reed Ferguson gets to cash it. Right, Ryan? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, Nate, Nate needs to stop ducking this. I, I, if he I, wants to go out there and run his mouth and he can go do this job, then by all means. And listen, you and I have both been to camp as, as uh, you know, with, with media credentials in the past. It's not tough to find somebody. It, no. It's not tough to find a player. And, it, and, if, and if Geary would have gone up to any one of those guys wearing Bill's polos and said, hey, can you go let Reed know I'm looking for him? They'd have found Reed for him, that, especially if Reed knew he was looking for him. That's it. So me thinks that Nate Geary's trying to duck his obligation here now. 
So I, I would ask our listeners to do this. Tweet at Nate Geary Sports and remind him that it's time to back up all that tough talk. Don't be a coward here now. Take your medicine. Go out there and try to catch that long snap. Your face and hands be damned. <laughs> ah. Again, thanks for joining us, Ryan. Always a pleasure. Where can people follow you on social media? Absolutely. Thanks, guys. At Ryan Lacel underscore RSN. Always great to join you guys. And uh, next time we'll do it in person because we've been alternating, it seems like. So next time it'll be in person. Scott Mason, Christian Simonelli, Alf Artiaga, and Ryan Lacel doing some Bill stuff. That's four people. So I can't really go trios. I, they are the NWO 2000 <laughs> of covering their specific teams. Too sweet. Yeah. Too sweet. Yeah. I think Lacel would, well, the four founding members of NWO 2000 is Kevin Nash, Scott Hall, Jeff Jarrett, and Bret Hart. Bret Hart? Yeah. Not Owen Hart. No, he was dead at this point. <laughs> Bret Hart. Bret Hart. Okay, so this tells you when I stopped watching wrestling. 1999. All right. 2000. All right. So, here's the real question. Who's big sexy? Um, that would probably... I would go Christian. I'd go Christian. <laughs> Christian is big sexy. Well, because I think Elf already... He, he's old. Elf would be... Who's the oldest one in the group? Uh, I don't know, but I would always put Alf with uh, Scott Hall because Alf's from Miami. Okay. And Razor Ramon was from Miami or build from Miami. I love I love getting to pick at how you come up with these. Scott Mason is clearly Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> Why clearly? Well, because that would leave Ryan Lacell as Bret Hart. <laughs> and as soon as Bret Hart got into NWO 2000, it wouldn't. But like six months, six months later, his career was over. <laughs> so that that's why Lacel would be the Bret Hart in this instance. Uh, guys, it's always fun getting to chop it up with people from around the division, getting a little taste of what they're going through to kind of put our own thoughts and ideas and experiences into perspective. True or false, Chris, it seems like the Bills are having the best training camp. We always are. Yeah. It's 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 just because we have the best roster. We have the best coaching staff. Best coaches. We have the most continuity. We have everything going Why don't, for us. Here, we'll run down. We'll run down everything that we're good at. Okay. We have the best specialists. Okay. We have the best quarterback in the division, the best wide receiver room, the best coaching staff, the best management, and above all else. There's nobody better than Buffalo Bills when it comes to fan sites. <laughs> We're the best at that. I love how you just casually put your feet up on the desk as you said that and maintained eye contact with me. That was one of the creepiest yet coolest things I think you've ever pulled off. Yeah, <laughs> but we are. God damn. We got this fan site thing down pat. Guys, we love you. For some reason, these guys show up every week because they love you. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. This has been your AFC's Roundup.